Hello and welcome to the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is JR and I'm here with the marvelous Joey Thompson as my co-host. How you doing, Marv? I'm doing great, JR. How about you? Oh, living the dream. Happy to be here with you. Excited for this week's episode. The NFL season is really heating up, getting a lot of peeks behind the curtain here as to what's really going on, what everybody really has. Uh, before we get into the show, guys, I want to mention that you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter. Marv is interacting with folks on Twitter at Marv underscore wrap up, as in the weekly wrap up of sports. Uh, wanted to mention for those of you who've been listening to us for a long time now, loyal listeners, we we pivoted and we switched names just to kind of highlight what the mission of ours is. It's kind of if you're a busy person and you're an avid sports fan, at the same time, you can kind of get a one week, I mean, I'm sorry, one hour wrap up of the week in sports. So we just kind of wanted to highlight that to everyone so that they know what's what we're about and what's going on. We appreciate you all listening. If you are enjoying the show, please go ahead and give us a review on Stitcher, on iTunes, anywhere you may be listening. We'd really appreciate it. It really helps get our show out there. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Well, the NFL season so far has been very exciting, very interesting. I've really enjoyed watching it. Kind of seems like a, a movie I've seen before. Be like a love story where you kind of see what's going to happen at the end while you're still at the beginning. And for those who studied film, as you know, there's an act one, which is the setup, act two, which is confrontation, act three, resolution. So if you make it like a cheesy love story, it's the setup, they meet each other, there's a meet cute, and then there's a confrontation, one of the two screws up and they, they break up for a little bit. And then the resolution, they come back together and they get married and everybody lives happily ever after. In the NFL, not everyone's going to live happily ever after, as we know. There's only one team that gets hoist the Lombardi Trophy. But there are kind of three acts to the business. And when I look at it, the act, the setup, you got to have a elite quarterback or somebody who's approaching elite status. As we discussed a couple episodes ago, 13 of the last 15 Super Bowl winners have been Hall of Fame quarterbacks. There's very few exceptions to that rule. So your setup is a really good quarterback. And then your confrontation. Some games are going to get messy. It's not going to be easy. You're not just going to sail through this movie. You're going to need a top 15 defense somewhere around that in the league. You don't need to be top 10 like you used to. Game is a little bit more offensive, a lot more relying on those quarterbacks. And then the resolution, act three, something to bring it all together, the coach. And when I look at the NFL right now and what I've seen over two weeks, there's only about six teams left in this thing. There, granted, there could be injuries, there could be drastic changes. But with that being said, in the AFC, New England and Kansas City, they're just so far above everyone else. It's not even close. You have Mahomes and Brady, Belichick and Reed. You have a stout defense in New England, a more than formidable defense, almost surprisingly, in Kansas City. Kansas City has an incredible amount of weapons on offense. And then there's just kind of everyone else. And then we have the NFC. We have Green Bay. You have Aaron Rodgers and a new coach, albeit a new coach, but he's 2-0. and He hasn't slept up yet. So I give him the benefit of the doubt that he could be one of those great coaches in the future. It could be a little bit of a stretch, but Green Bay's still there. They got a top 15 defense, I would say top 10. Philadelphia, got a great quarterback, a little bit concerned about his health, but you have a coach who's won a Super Bowl already. You got a great offensive line, great defensive line. 
They could use a little help in the secondary, but they're they're there. They're they're in the mix. Dallas, you got a quarterback ascending. I'm not sure I'm all the way buying Dak Prescott, but he's ascending. He's there. You got a top ten defense. The coach, uh, Jason Garrett, he's a winning coach, so he's there. I'll put him in there. And then you have the Rams. You have the golden boy, the prodigy in Sean McVay, who probably makes Jared Goff look better than he is, but Jared Goff's up there and still developing as a quarterback. And you have that beastly defense led by Tlaib and Nadam Kinsu. I'm sorry, not Nadam Kinsu. He's gone. Aaron Donald. And you just got players all over that defense. Now, some of you listening might be like, Jared, okay, that's that's nice. But there, there's some other real legitimate teams out there. Come on, guys. We've seen this movie before. 13 out of 15 Super Bowls have been won by elite quarterbacks. And oftentimes they're accompanied by an elite coach. And they're always accompanied by a top 15 defense. And the reality is, let me go down the list. Buffalo, they're 2-0, right? I like Buffalo. However, Josh Allen was quarterbacking at Wyoming just two years ago. He's going to go from quarterbacking at Wyoming to the Super Bowl. That's quite a bit of a stretch. Not even a little bit of a stretch, a lot. Houston. Every time I watch them, I'm like, Deshaun Watson, please don't die. The guy's just jumping and falling and getting hit everywhere. When you watch the Monday Night Football game, he dove into the end zone and I love the effort, but man, the best ability is availability. You can't be diving into the end zone like that on your back and he was injured for the rest of the game. So yes, I like Houston, but Deshaun Watson, I don't trust his health. I just don't trust their team. Baltimore, yeah, Lamar Jackson's progressed really nicely, but let's not get carried away. We've seen this story before with Colin Kaepernick and some other quarterbacks who were dual threat, and they played the Cardinals and the Dolphins, the two worst teams in the NFL. So while they may be able to throw their hat in the ring at that top level, uh uh-uh, not yet. Chicago, the Chicago Police Department needs to put out an Amber Alert. Their entire offense is missing. We don't know where they are. The Bears, no way. They they were kind of a, a fluke last year, and they're proving that they're going to come back to the middle of the pack so far in the way that they've played. It took them three and three quarters quarters to throw for 100 yards passing. That was ugly. And then you have Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota fans, I feel so bad for them. They have it all. But Kirk Cousins has showed us who he is. He chokes that double coverage pick thrown in the end zone. Yikes, that was not a good look. And that cost him the game. Atlanta, chokers. They always choke, just like Kirk Cousins, up 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. Same guys, not going to happen. And the Saints and the Seahawks, I kind of look at the same. You guys remember Subway, Eat Fresh? It was kind of a lifestyle brand, healthy. And then you realize that you're eating rubber gym mats as it came out in their bread, and their spokesperson kind of lived an unhealthy lifestyle uh, in more ways than one. They've built brands on offenses and defense, the Saints on offense and the Seahawks on defense. The brand is much larger than the reality. There is no offense in the Saints anymore, especially without Drew Brees, but even with Drew Brees. And the Seahawks, for all you listening, I don't think you could name more than two players on the on the Seahawks defense. I got Bobby Wagner. I got Jadavion Clowney because he was just traded there. I didn't look it up before the show because, honestly, I don't care. Who do they have? If I don't know them off the top of my head, who are they? Those teams, I'm not buying any of them. Now, Marv, I have to ask you, it really looks like a six-team race to me at this time. Like I said, injuries can change a lot, but the 
ending of this movie looks pretty obvious. I think I know who are going to be in the in the final scene here in Act Three. Do you see anyone else who we could add in that in that category? I mean, you've been uh, spot on on all these uh, the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs, the Packers, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Rams. Now, the two teams that I think are in the elite in their own level by themselves, the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs, they're on a level by themselves. Then after that, there's everyone else that's, you know, NFC. I'm still, the teams that we have in the NFC are still, to me, in my mind, still kind of like fringe elite. Maybe the Rams, I think, might be the best out of that bunch, only because of the talent they, they possess and the coaching that they have out of all those teams that uh, we mentioned in the NFC, like the Rams the most. Of course, my Super Bowl pick is still the Rams versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Still remains, and I think they're still going to you know, be on a crash course to the final. But we'll see. But anyways, um, there's always Baltimore and, of course, Houston. Houston is a very unique team. When I call them unique because... When I watch them play, I really don't know what team's going to show up. One week, they're putting up crazy points. Then the next week, they're struggling to score on the Jacksonville Jaguars and barely beating them at home. That, to me, is kind of, you know, alarming because Jacksonville is playing with their six-round pick quarterback, and he almost beat them at home in Houston. I mean, they almost had lost another last-second game which would have been heartbreaking for a team that's traded basically their whole draft for the next two seasons to help, you know, upgrade their offensive line and uh, help their quarterback stay upright. Because as you mentioned earlier, every time um, number four takes off, I'm I'm holding my breath. I'm worried the man's going to get hit and he's not going to get back up again. So I'm still kind of iffy on the uh, Houston Texans. I like, their potential to be possibly the third best team in the AFC. But that all hinges on if uh, Deshaun Watson's could stay healthy. And then the fourth best team. Now, to me, this is kind of a toss-up between Baltimore and Cleveland. I'm still not sure which one of those two teams is going to rise from the smoke and take over the AFC North now that the Pittsburgh Steelers lost Big Ben for the season. Now. That's going to be an interesting matchup between those two to watch as the season progresses. And at the end of the day, I think eventually I like, as much as I like Lamar Jackson this season, of course I drafted him in all my fantasy leagues and he's been, (laughs) he's been a heck of a player. Uh, He's eventually going to come back to earth. And when he comes back to earth, the Ravens are going to have to reinvent themselves. And that's where, I think coaching is going to come in. Uh, John Harbaugh is a really good coach. So we'll see how they adjust once teams start adjusting to what the Ravens are doing on offense. Now the Browns, Browns are highly, possibly one of the most talented teams in AFC. They're still young. They're still learning. They like to show off. I want to see them play a game where they have to deal with, uh, diverse, you know, a, a game that where they have to deal with a lot of, uh, how I say, issues that they have to overcome and win the game. Once I can see that where they don't lose it the way they did in week one, 
then I can say, okay, the Browns have taken that next step at being one of the top teams in the AFC. But until then, I'm still also a little bit iffy on the Browns. But other than that, I like I like the the list. I agree with those six teams, but I believe New England and Kansas City as well, you know, are top of the pack. The way I look at it, and you explained it perfectly, Lamar Jackson is more fantasy than he is reality. He's a great fantasy football player. He's going to put up a lot of stats, but we've never seen anyone even come close to sustaining this level of rushing and passing outside of Michael Vick. And Michael Vick did it against like the whole NFL for several years. Lamar Jackson has done it for two games against the worst two teams in the NFL. So when I look at that and then I look back at last season's tape when he played, he's still a limited quarterback to me. Now, can he prove me wrong? Does he have time to do that? Absolutely. Am I optimistic that's going to happen? Absolutely not, because there's been a whole lot of talk about this whole thing that, you know, 2.0 quarterbacks that they need to run and they need to pass. And I agree that you need to have an athlete, a quarterback. All quarterbacks are now athletes. However, they don't rely equally on the run as they do the pass. Like Lamar Jackson's game is schemed up so that he will run equal and pass off the run. So it's really, I like a Mahomes who's a great athlete who can pass and run around to create passes. And if he needs to, as his last option, he can take off. But it's not to the point where it's Lamar's last option. And put it this way, very few quarterbacks who run around last. If you needed to run around to play the game, you're not going to last. Deshaun Watson looking like he's not going to last. The only reason Russell Wilson started to last and has lasted is he realized he couldn't run around. He needed to become more of a 70% pocket passer, 30% running quarterback, and always slide. And that brings me to the Texans. To your point, I know the Texans are going to be in the playoffs. If Deshaun uh, Deshaun Watson doesn't get injured tomorrow, which is like going to happen all the time. Again, there's certain people who have a knack for getting out of the way of contact, and I don't know what it is, but Russell Wilson, you can't hit the guy. He's like a ghost. Even when he's running, he's sliding, he's diving, he's running out of bounds. And it's like Watson, he's a magnet to contact. He's a magnet. And I, I love Deshaun Watson. I hope he can stay on the field, but I see him dive over the guys in Monday Night Football, and I'm like, oh, don't do that. Like, get down on the one and run out of bounds so that you can play for the rest of the season. He needs somebody in his ear to tell him the best ability is availability, and if you're not playing, we don't have a chance. So instead of getting that touchdown, run out of bounds on the one-yard line. We'll live to fight another play. And I know that's hard for competitors like him, and he's a great competitor, but he's got to take it easy. Now, with that being said, that gets us into our second topic here. I left the Browns out on purpose, Marv, but let's let's talk about those Cleveland Browns. Man, the Browns are fun. They're exciting. They're they're awesome. They're like going to Vegas, though. Like you go to Vegas, do you do you expect to win? No, but you can have a fun time, or or maybe leasing a a sports car. Maybe you get a Corvette. If you really got it, you get a Lamborghini. Do you expect that asset to appreciate? No, not really. You're just there to have fun. God, I love watching the Browns. They're interesting. They have a bright future. I, I have no debate about that, but they're flashy. They're fun. Did you see that Odell Beckham slant and go for 80-some yards? Boy, that was exhilarating. I loved it. But the Browns, to me right now, 
they're an 18 year old Instagram influencer with a fake Rolex and a rented plane for the picture. They haven't really done anything. They haven't succeeded in anything, but they're trying to sell me their five-step plan how to succeed. And it's like, uh, maybe come back in a couple of years when you've built a company that I know of that isn't fake and is reputable on the internet. I, I kind of got to break it down at a couple points, Marv. They're, they're just kind of forcing that success. When I look at the game the other night against the Jets, they, they were so overmanned. The Jets were so overmanned. But Baker Mayfield... Who is the quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator? I know the offensive coordinator is Freddie Kitchens, but who is the quarterback's coach? Somebody get in this guy's ear. Take a check down. We don't need 20 yards every play. The Browns refuse to commit to a run. Again, it's their fake Rolex. They have to hit you with the pass, the deep shot play every time. They're up 13-3 to against a quarterback who had passed for three yards through a quarter and almost the whole second quarter, and he's got three yards, and you're trying to take shot plays on first down, run the ball. Give commitment to the run with a Pro Bowl caliber running back and Nick Chubb. You guys got to establish a rhythm, establish an offense. Baker's numbers are really down from last year, and it's not about Baker's skill. It's about this play calling. There's no fluidity. There's no rhythm. It's all boomer busted. And, and that part of the game is honestly hard to watch because I'm so excited for those plays, but I'd much have much more fun to see them move along the ball down the field, and then hit you with a shot play. It's like they want everything first before they put in any work. Marv, what the hell is going on in Cleveland? Um, as we mentioned earlier, um, it's a team. It's a, a team. You know, it's a very young team. And I think that I like the choice they made when they hired Freddie Kitchen as a head coach. Uh, no. I mean – they should have kept him as the offensive coordinator, and I thought they should have brought in a a, a more mature coach that can, uh, how I say, manage their egos because it's a team full of young guys with huge egos that like to show off. They're very flashy, very entertaining team to watch. As a matter of fact, I love Miles Garrett. I think he's a really great uh, pass rusher, and I think he's you know ascending to become one of the best in the league. He currently leads the NFL with five sacks. So, I mean, last uh, versus the Jets, he had a career day with three sacks. So, you know, that aside, I like the Browns. I like what they're doing. I just would like to see a little bit more composure when things get rough and tough. I would like to see them get battle-tested, face uh, – um, what's it called? Um, they, I want to see them face a, have a game where they face a team. That, let's say they're up down two scores – and the Browns don't lose it the same way they lost it in the first week where once, you know, it started raining, it started pouring for them, and they couldn't dig themselves out of the hole they made. So I, I would like to see them deal with adversity and see how they handle that. They're still a young team. I like the the um the route they're taking and how they're progressing each week. I mean, of course, they, they beat up on a beat-up and injured Jet squad, but that was kind of more like a practice round for them. I didn't like the call they made. They risked also Baker Mayfield getting injured. They should have ran the ball. Uh, so I think as time goes, you know, they're going to grow together. The coaching staff's going to grow with the players. And I think maybe in a year or two, they're going to be a, a team to watch out for because they have all the right pieces together and it's finally starting to come together. So as long as they get these guys to believe in what the head coach is preaching, and they um, start making smart calls. 
I think the Browns would be something to reckon with. There's no doubt about that. I'm not worried about them as a contender in the future. I'm worried about right now. I want to take a step back, though, and uh, just something that I thought of, Marv, while you were speaking, that speaking of a fake Rolex, it came out today that Odell Beckham's warm-up watch, which was originally uh, pointed out that it was a $2 million Richard Milley watch. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's a very high-end luxury brand. And it turns out the watch was fake. So they're literally having fake watches on their team. It was kind of analyzed and zoomed in and the watch was fake. There was only 10 of them made in the world. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to have one of the 10. So it, it <laughs> drew up red flags on the internet and, and everyone caught on to that. I thought that was kind of funny. But back to the topic at hand, they're, they're going to be fine. They, their talent is more than abundant. I knew that they were going to win the game. That was never in doubt last night. But like you said, it was a practice round. You called it a practice round. And I would like to have the I would like to have seen them take that practice round more seriously. Try to get in a rhythm on offense, balance the run in the pass, get yourself ready for success. Don't be the Instagram influencer. Set up a foundation so that when you're playing against a good team, that you have to run, you have to pass, you have to find a rhythm, you have to take shot plays, you have to take checkdowns, you have to play everything in the middle and you play that chess game. This was never a chess game. This was like a checkers game and the Jets had two pieces left and the Cleveland Browns hadn't been jumped yet at all. They were they had all their pieces out there. So when I look at it, Marv, to me it's their problems are I would say eighty percent coaching and twenty percent of it the players being hard to coach. Would you second that or do you see something else out there? No, I agree. Um some most players they have are hard to coach. It's it's kind of like dealing with the Warriors. You have a lot of talented guys. You just got to learn how to deal with their egos and get them to, to well work together well and gel. And if you get those guys to listen, you can produce really good results. So we'll see how that all turns out. Yeah, to me, they're just the anti-patriots. They don't do the little things. They're all about hitting the big play. They want to do everything at once. And I don't get why it's so hard to play like the Patriots do. I mean, the blueprint is there. They put it on tape. They put it in front of us every week and it takes discipline, but the the concepts are not that hard. And this kind of gets into a different subject for a split second, Marv. When you look at what the Patriots did this week and what they do every week, if we could compare somebody like them, some somebody like the Browns to them and implementing their strategy, the Patriots always take away your number one option on offense. Why is that hard for teams to do, to copy that? That's a very good question. Um, I think it really entails to having the personnel to be able to basically wipe out the best weapon on the other team. Um, it takes a lot of discipline. And some of these teams, for example, lack discipline, kind of like the Browns. If the Browns have a little bit more discipline, that would be a really, really good team. Patriots are a team that's, you know, very disciplined. They have a coach who basically holds everyone up to their um, responsibilities. And if you don't uh, hold up your your side of the of the bargain, you basically get bunched. And that's it. There's no nonsense over there in New England. So it's really tough um, 
to say, but um, it really comes down to just discipline, really. And I think that's where discipline, and back to my point that I was saying they needed to have a disciplined game plan to practice for that, because when you're Cleveland, the AFC goes through New England more often than not, and they're going to take away your best option. They're going to take away Odell Beckham if they see him to be the best option. The antidote to that is you can't look at that wide receiver. And if you don't have discipline, Baker Mayfield, you're going to try and throw it to him and you're going to throw a pick. And this team is not taught discipline from the coaching staff. They don't practice discipline on the field. So while I'm not going to panic yet on the Browns, it's like, guys, you played against somebody who is basically just to beat up on, take the practice seriously. And they seem to slough off and do whatever they want and try and throw everything downfield and never uh, they got a little bit better running the ball this week, but they still weren't committed to it, and I really didn't like that. Uh, I'll be on the Browns still, but I'm I'm not putting them in the top six, although they have the talent to be there. We'll see. It's only Freddie Kitchen's second game. It'll be his third game, but I, I, I need to see big adjustments from him in order to take the Browns seriously. Otherwise, I have to look to hold their stock, if you will, into the future because they aren't it this year. Let's get into a little insider news with Marv. Marv's breaking some news. as It's not breaking news, but Jalen Ramsey's looking to be traded. He has some information on where he might end up. Where's Jalen Ramsey potentially headed as soon as this week? Yes, so basically what I'm hearing is the Chiefs have showed the most interest in Jalen Ramsey. Uh, the but the Jags are currently asking for possibly two first-round picks and and then some. Um, from what I'm hearing, two teams made already uh, offers for Jalen Ramsey, one being an NFC team, which offered a first and a fifth-round pick. We can only guess who probably that may be. It's kind of obvious. Um, a lot of people think it's the Eagles because they basically have been trying to trade for everyone that becomes available. Then we have the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs were the ones who offered the first-round pick and a player for Jalen Ramsey. So those right now are the two reported trade offers for Jalen Ramsey, but I think the Jags are still holding firm, and they're not going to budge until they're blown away by a package that they think will be fair for a four-time Pro Bowl top shutdown corner. The Jags should really take their time here and not move him if they don't need to. I know he's under two more years worth of contract, but the way I look at it, and you bring some interesting perspective to this, Marv, because the two, the three teams that come to mind, even before knowing that, before talking to you about it, was the Patriots and the Chiefs, first and foremost. It's an arms race in the AFC. They are so far ahead of each other, or I'm not ahead of each other, ahead of the teams behind them. They're so far into a different class together that – Anytime somebody like this becomes even potentially available and I'm trying to win a Super Bowl this year, I'm throwing everything I, I can at it. When you look at what a first-round pick is going to be for one of those teams, it's going to be somewhere between the 28th and 32nd pick more than likely as I see both of them in the AFC Championship game. So just just give them two firsts and get it over with because you're going to be good next year too. Both teams are going to be good next year. Give them two firsts. Get yourself a Pro Bowl cornerback under contract for two years and f figure out the salary cap later. It's about winning now. And then you look at – That's true. I was going to say, and I, I, you look at the Eagles, and they're always aggressive. Both teams should take that strategy. Don't you think? No, that's true. And what I'm hearing is I don't think the Patriots are really 
warmed up to the idea. Reason being, they just, they're going to owe their top corner $18 million this season and then about $20 million next year. Also, they just gave uh, Joseph an extension as well. And also they have uh, one of the, what's it called, twins? I forget his last name. McCordy. McCordy uh, twins. McCordy twins. They have both of them still. Who plays this? So, the, yeah, they, they're, they're stacked in the secondary. So it's kind of like it would be a luxury to add someone like Jalen Ramsey to the secondary because they already have so many Pro Bowl type corners and safeties in their in their secondary. So that's why I think the Patriots might just lay back. And, you know, of course, if uh, if the Jags lowers their asking price, then maybe you could see the Patriots at least making an offer. But at this moment, I think they're going to be less aggressive. I think the Chiefs will probably be the more aggressive team since. I can't even name their starting corner right now. So, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to see where Jalen Ramsey does end up. He's playing it cool. You know, he's, I'm sure his, uh, his people and his PR people told him to just go to practice and, um, act like you never made this request, which he's doing right now. But in reality, we all know he wants out of Jacksonville. He wants to get paid and he wants to win. So we'll see how this turns out. It could be maybe this week or it could be next week. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Jalen Ramsey in the following weeks. So here's my case, though, Marv, for the New England Patriots trading for Jalen Ramsey. I 100% agree with you that they are not in need of the secondary. I would classify them as possibly the number one defense in the NFL, and they're certainly the number one defense among those top six teams. I think the Chicago Bears are in the conversation for the top defense, but they have no offense, so who cares? The Patriots, it's got to be taking away from your rival. So the concern I have, if I'm Bill Belichick and I'm the Patriots, Antonio Brown is not for sure going to be playing for the rest of the season due to all his legal issues. And then you're down to Josh Gordon as your top wide receiver. If the Chiefs are able to acquire Jalen Ramsey, you have a problem. And your quarterback by the way, is 42 years old, and there's no guarantee that you're going to be good next year or the following year. So to me, I know it would be very unpatriot-like for them to overpay as Bill Belichick wins every trade. He's kind of like a Jedi mind trick guy with the trades. Oh, man, I, I almost think you have to make an exception to the rule. I understand there's rules and principles that you need to follow to be successful, but, but sometimes you need to break the rules. And this seems like one of those times because, again, it's less about getting him on my team and more about keeping him away from the Chiefs. So I'm willing to overpay for that because of that issue. And if I'm the Chiefs, I'm trying to get him because of the arms race, no matter what. So with that being said, if I'm the Jaguars, I know you kind of pushed back on this earlier, but if you have two first-round picks, just give it to them if you can win the Super Bowl this year. Are you still in disagreement with that? We talked about that off the air, but I really like the idea of Super Bowl contenders giving up picks. You're not sure what they're going to be. And they're going to be – the only thing you are sure about is they're going to be late in the first round. That's true. I mean, it really all depends. If you're in a win-now situation like the Chiefs or the Eagles or the Patriots or even a team like Dallas or the Rams. Well, the Rams I don't think would need another corner because I don't know where they're finding salary cap. But anyways, yeah. um, <laughs> you give up those picks because you know that you're going to be in contention for the next – two to three years, and Ramsey is a good investment because Ramsey currently is under contract for the next two years. Now, if he comes in this year, let's say he gets traded to a team, of course, after the season, he's going to ask for an extension. 
So we're going to see how where he ends up because I think the team that absorbs him is going to need to have some make some cap room because they're going to have to pay the man after they end up winning with him. You know he's going to want to get paid for his services once he gets there because he's about 24 years old. He's already been in the league for four seasons. He's made four straight Pro Bowls. So there's a point, comes a point in time where a guy like that, you just got to pay him. And I think the best fit for him would be Kansas City. Even though I'm a big Broncos fan, I would hate that. But I think that would probably be the best fit for him because they lack a true shutdown corner in that secondary. Now he would do wonders for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs could certainly use him. And I just want to say this, by the way, with the salary cap. Yes, it's a concern, but the more and more I am learning this year because of the Cowboys situation, I think the salary cap is fake news. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure it is because I don't know how Dallas is planning on signing everyone (laughs) and still continues to work and be fine by all salary cap experts report, which I am not a salary cap expert. I thought I understand how it works, but with Dallas' situation, it's gotten really interesting. Speaking of Dallas, we have Dallas coming up in a second in our next segment called Stockbrokers. Marv, you're going to be either buying or selling some stocks today. I'm going to serve as your stockbroker to say if I agree or disagree with you. So are you ready, Marv? Yes, sir. Okay, your first stock available for purchase, Lamar Jackson. Currently, based on the schedule that the Ravens have, I'm going to continue to buy his stock. I mean, he's been over-exceeding expectations. Of course, that, you know, what's aiding them is, of course, the schedule he's had to start their season. He's playing a bunch of scrubs, so obviously that's going to make his numbers look great. But until, you know, he faces real competition, I'm going to continue buying the stock only because he's playing up to better than what we expected him to play. So I'm buying Lamar Jackson's stock. I'll be honest, I've been surprised with how well he's done putting up the numbers passing that he's done. But Greg Cassell, NFL films expert for 40 years was on a show the other day. And he said, well, what do you want me to say? If these are throws that any quarterback in the NFL should be able to make now with the rules of our game being, I should have said this earlier, but with the rules of our game being that we're going to buy for the next couple weeks or so, it's going to be a short term buy. I would cautiously buy Lamar Jackson, but don't expect the returns that you've been getting thus far for the rest of the season. It's very cautious. It's one that you need to monitor in your portfolio every day and sell at the first sign of trouble. So I'm in slight agreement with you, Marv. Uh, Our next stock, Dak Prescott. This may be very controversial to say, but I'm selling Dak Prescott stock. I'm not buying it. And the reason why... I've seen this story before many times where a guy is playing his heart out to get a contract. He's on his last year of his contract, so he goes out and he overperforms his contract, so he gets paid. So then once he gets paid, then he starts coasting again. So I'm selling this stock until I see Dak Prescott play a top team and continues to have the same success, then I'll start buying. Now, I'm going to disagree with you at any sentiment that Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott may coast. The guy's not going to coast. He's definitely an alpha. He's definitely a leader. I have no concern about his intangibles. His intangibles are my favorite part about him. 
However, when you look at a skill set, that's what concerns me along with you. And we're in agreement on that. Again, Greg Cassell, breaking down the film, expert far above my level of expertise, goes ahead and says, in the same breath as Lamar Jackson, guys are running open, wide open, 10 yards. This is great offense design. What do you want me to take away from this is what he said. What do you want me to say about this? Like other young people are saying, oh, I've never seen this before. He's like, I've seen this before. I've seen NFL quarterbacks make wide open high school throws. So all the credit in the world goes to uh, their Kel- Kellen Moore, their offensive coordinator, former Cowboys quarterback and former Boise State quarterback. So he's drawing up a great offense. I'm still concerned about Dak's skill levels and abilities. He played the Giants and the Redskins. Let's not get carried away. And by the way, his stock number was looking $30 million a year already. So I'm going to sell with you. I'm not touching the stock, Marv. It's too risky. It's too chaotic. It's too too little time. And you look at the whole body of work and you got to sell. Antonio Brown on the Patriots. Are you going to buy him over the next couple of weeks? Is he going to be available? I'm buying while he's playing. As long as Antonio Brown is healthy and playing for the Patriots, I'm going to buy his stock. Now, offline, you know, I've, I've spoken to you regarding this. I would sell if, of course, he's getting suspended. If he gets suspended, which I think is highly likely due to all the information that's been coming out and the way Roger Goodell likes to uh, set an example of players, it could happen. But for now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy Antonio Brown's stock with the Patriots. I am going to agree with you on the buy, and here's why. He is a low-cost stock right now. The Patriots bought in low. I'm going to continue to buy low. A lot of people, including you, like you just said, think he's going to be suspended. I do not. Again, I want to be cautious in what the issues are out there with him legally. I don't really want to make a comment on that. But yeah, I, I'm going to buy his stock for now. And I just, only because I think it's at a low price with a lot of people think that he's going to be suspended. I currently do not believe that he's going to be suspended. So I'm going to buy him at this low price and hope he turns out to be a high yield stock turning out like Randy Moss did with the Patriots. So it's risky. I agree, but I'll buy because I think it's a good good value right now. Here's a here's a good one, Marv. Gardner Minshew, the six-round quarterback out of Washington State, playing at Jacksonville. If you saw his first game, he was 21 for 25 with two touchdowns and one interception. That was a complete drop with 270-some yards passing. He was nearly perfect. Then he comes back and almost beats the Texans with a very nice game. Are you buying the six-round draft pick? Dare I say the next, we won't even say his name. We won't even say his name. But the next other guy that used to be a six-round draft pick and still is? The, the next GOAT? I didn't say it, Marv. You said it. Uh, <laughs> I love Gardner. I, I like everything he brings. He's the, the guy's a competitor. I mean, with what he has in Jacksonville, he's been doing miracles. He's the doing a miracle is basically what he's doing out there. I mean, he's made uh the receiver, I forget his name, um, the receiver out of LSU that they got, he's made him look pretty good. So I like what Gardner Minshew's doing. He's very accurate. He's uh giving the team a chance to win every week. 
even though they've come close, they've lost at the end to both times. But I mean, that's all you really ask from a young quarterback is to give you opportunities to stay in the game and win the game. And he doesn't make mistakes, many mistakes at all. Uh, this is shocking coming from a guy who's drafted in the sixth round. So I'm, I'm going to continue to buy Gardner Mr. Sock. This guy's legend is growing day by day. I like the kid, man, and I'm, I'm really rooting for him. I am going to advise you to buy all the stock that's available in Gardner Minshew. And here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I love his confidence. I love his swagger. I love his person- personality and persona. To be a quarterback in this league, you have to be very confident. Nobody's more confident than Tom Brady, and he is the greatest. I don't mean to compare him to Tom Brady, but there's an aura of confidence that you need as a quarterback to say and do what you want while still being a good leader and having a level of humility. And I think the guy definitely has that. When you look at his tangibles, first of all, I was surprised to learn that on his Wonderlick test, which is on a scale of 1 to 50, and you have to finish it in 10 minutes, the average quarterback scores around 25. That's in the last couple of drafts. It's been around 25, some lower, some higher. But he scored a 44 out of 50, a very bright guy as well, along with that confidence. And then you look at Washington State, he's under the tutelage of Mike Leach, who I think is underrated in developing quarterbacks. He doesn't usually get good prospects. And Gardner Minshew learned a lot from that. And he, they're implementing some of the elements of that air raid offense, which is becoming the hot new trend in the NFL in implementing the air raid offense for these guys to make the transition from college to pro easier. So with how cheap his stock is and how little talk he's getting overall compared to a lot of other things, I'm going to buy a ton of stock because it's really low priced. Uh, Marv, next stock to buy. Are you buying the Minka Fitzpatrick trade? Did the Steelers make a good trade there? First round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins. <sighs> hmm. I mean, I like the trade for both teams, but I think I'm selling if I'm, you know, if this is regarding the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm buying it for the, the Dolphins because the Dolphins are full rebuild mode and this is going to help them out. But the way the Steelers are built, they were built around Big Ben's arm. And without Big Ben, I don't see much success in the near future. So right now, Minka is kind of like a luxury to have on defense because, I mean, their defense has been struggling really bad. They're right now in the bottom five teams in the NFL and defense overall. So, I mean, he's going to help improve their defense in the long run. It's a really good trade for them. I mean, I'm sure this year's draft, they weren't going to find a guy of that caliber, but um, we'll see. I, I'm right now selling if, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I'm buying it for the Dolphins. I like it for the Dolphins because these guys are, this, this is probably the first time I've ever seen an NFL team tank the right way. And, it's like nothing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a huge buy for the Dolphins. I guess I should have been more specific because it, it's focused on the Steelers who are relevant. The Dolphins are like a high school team, so I apologize for the confusion. <laughs> uh, with that being said, for the Steelers, this is a really tough one because, yes, you're getting a proven NFL talent. You're getting a uh, – I think he was the 13th pick. I think he was underdrafted. But when you look at the metrics – the safety position is not highly valued on defense. It's one of the most interchangeable, unimportant positions for whatever reason. That's based on advanced metric statistics. 
So when you're looking at 0-2, no Ben, and you're looking at potential top 10 draft pick from an outsider's perspective, obviously the Steelers have a different opinion than me. They really like Mason Rudolph, which again, you have no data to tell you how good he's going to play in the NFL. He really doesn't have any NFL play in the regular season. So I'm concerned about the trade that they made. I probably would have took a more cautious approach. So I would have sold that trade, but I also don't think it's terrible. With that being said, Marv, the Colts were left for dead after Andrew Luck. We were talking about replacements for them, but Jacoby Brissett is playing better than a lot of the young quarterbacks, better than most, actually. He's 17th in QBR. They're 1-1. One and one. They should be 2-0. and oh. If Adam Vinatieri could make some field goals, how do you feel about the Colts right now? Should you buy them or sell them? I'm buying what the Colts are uh, providing. Um, I've been a really harsh critic on the Colts, especially I have uh, family members who are Colts fans, and I've you know, teased them a lot regarding when Andrew Luck retired and how, I th- how bad I thought they were going to be. So they've overexceeded what I thought they were going to be. I mean, I've watched both games, and they've uh, really impressed me. They have a lot of fight in them. They uh, rally around uh, Jacoby Brissett. He seems to have that leadership quality that a lot of quarterbacks lack nowadays. And a lot of these guys like play hard for him. So I'm buying the stock of the Colts. They're so far a surprise team. I mean, they're really young and I, I like what they're doing. So I'm buying. When you look at this buy or sell option, you have the Colts who open the season as over under six games. And for me, on that note, in terms of how expensive they are, I definitely advise a huge buy here. Jacoby Brissett, as I mentioned, is doing very well. I had no doubt that he would be more than serviceable in the NFL. Now, I'm not saying he's ever going to win a Super Bowl or ever be a pro bowler even, but he's very serviceable as a starter and playing better than a lot of the young quarterbacks. And I really like him. He's not at all the worst case scenario for teams. A lot of other teams are in a lot worse situations. (laughs) Bears. Um. Last but not least, <laughs> after the one-and-one start for the Browns, very up and down, are you going to buy or sell them over the next couple of weeks here? I am going to buy. I mean, we're going to see what the Browns are really made of in, in the next following weeks. Uh, they have uh, some pretty good matchups coming up, and I, and I think we're going to see who they truly are. I mean – Next week, if I'm not mistaken, they're playing against the Rams. Now that's going to be that's going to tell tell us a lot of what the Browns are really made of. Then the following week, if I'm not mistaken, I think they play the Ravens. If I'm not mistaken, that's correct. They play the Ravens. Yep. So so back to back games, they're going to play two of the top teams statistically in the NFL. And so after those two games. I think we're going to get a really good picture of who the Browns really are. If the Browns could go one and one in that and after those two games, I still will continue to buy what I, what I like of the Browns. If the Browns go 0-2, then it's time to start selling. Yeah, Marv, I'm going to have to advise you to do otherwise. Over the next couple of weeks, seeing that's the target of the game and we're going to revisit our portfolio with new and old stocks, I have to sell the Browns due to their schedule more than anything. I think they're going to lose to the Rams. They're probably going to lose at Baltimore. 
They very well could lose in their next game at San Francisco, who's 2-0. Jimmy Garoppolo's eighth in QBR so far, doing extremely well. And then you turn around and you have Seattle and the Patriots. They have a brutal schedule, and it gets easier as it goes on. So yes. right now I have to advise against that buy, and I would say sell. Stay away from the Browns for now. Like I said, I like the Browns in the future, but it's going to take Freddie Kitchens a little while to adjust to the NFL coaching. We'll see if he can do it. I have no concerns about their team and their talent. It's just all about coaching. Somebody has to implement some discipline over there. That is the end of our stockbroker segment. We will continue to do this in the future. We're going to revisit, as I said, some old stock picks, and we're also going to look at some new stock picks as time goes on. And without further ado, we'll get into our next segment. These are our picks of the week. We had a little bit of trouble last week. We will be the first to admit, but Thursday night was kind of a fluke. I'll never pick Thursday night game again. I knew better, but I did it anyways because I didn't like any of the other games and had a big Ben injury and it kind of got us off to a cold start, but we're ready to get hot this week. Marv, who is your first pick of the week? I really like the Eagles to bounce back against the Lions. Uh, currently, their line is minus six and a half. The Lions have been really good in their first two games, but the Eagles just got embarrassed on Sunday night, so I think they're going to bounce back and uh, demolish the Lions at home on Sunday. Yeah, I'm concerned a little bit about that just because of the big number, but I, I like the sentiment. Actually, I'm, I'll say this, Marv. I'm a little bit more concerned on that pick only because Carson Wentz. Can you trust that guy to stay on the field? That's my biggest concern with the Eagles. It's always a problem. But I really like that one looking through. But here is my favorite pick of the week. I'll give you my favorite one to start, and I would take this one to the bank without question. I'm going to take the Redskins plus four and a half hosting Chicago. Here's why. The Redskins are at home. Case Keenum, believe it or not, is sixth in QBR through the season now. He has not struggled at all. Yes, the Skins' defense is the second worst in the NFL in terms of QBR. They're giving up a very bad number. I believe it's 83 against them. That's really terrible because 83 is like Hall of Fame level. However, you saw what the Bears did last week. They just hand the ball off. They hand it off nine times in a row. They have no faith, no trust in their quarterback. Their quarterback's on the road, under bright lights. He looks scared and nervous every game. Could the Bears win on the back of their defense? Absolutely. Are they going to win by more than four and a half points? No chance. It's going to be a very close game. I have the Redskins winning the game 21-17. to 17. Marv, give us your next pick. All right, next pick. This one is kind of tough, but I'm taking the Giants plus six and a half versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I may sound crazy, but I like the move they just made today in benching Eli Manning for young Daniel Jones. I think the Giants are going to rally around the young guy, and he's going to come out there, and he's going to help them at least cover that six and a half against uh, inconsistent Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Giants will find a way to stay in this game and possibly could squeak out a win at the end. I really like that pick. I wasn't willing to make it myself, but I like it only because of what you said. Daniel Jones coming in, you can't get worse than Eli. There's going to be a very good schematic setup for Daniel Jones to succeed. 
as long as he can cover up the football, that's the reason why I didn't put that in my picks. He seems to be a little flippant with the football. He fumbled twice in the preseason in that one good game. He fumbled when he got some playing time against Dallas. It was a little bit rocky for him, but I definitely like the pick based on the fact of the value and the points. My second pick, I have to take the Rams at Cleveland. Uh, minus two and a half is the number for the Rams. I don't love to bet favorites. However, I only have to win by a field goal. I don't think the Browns are ready for the bright lights again with an actual team, not a practice team. And Sean McVay is going to run circles around Freddie Kitchens. Baker Mayfield's QBR is in the toilet. He's somewhere in the mid-20s. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but he is not doing well because he's forcing a lot. I have the Rams winning very easily 24-14. to 14. Next pick. Okay. Yeah, next pick, That's Marv. I like my picks this week. I love them. Bet them. All right, so I want to stick to my um, trend that I'm doing. I'm picking, uh, of course, my Denver Broncos to cover the heavy underdogs at Green Bay. I believe the spread is currently minus eight for Green Bay. I think the Broncos will cover. They're um, going to play with a lot of anger. And I think the game will come down possibly to a field goal. It's going to be a defensive battle. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been lighting up the world as we speak lately. He's been taking a lot of sacks as well. So we're going to see how uh, he performs. Because I, I, when's the last time the Packers started 2-0? I don't remember. This is the best I've seen them in a while. But if you watch the game against Minnesota, the Packers seem to just turn it off in the second half. If it wasn't for Kirk Cousins being a knucklehead, the Vikings would have won that game. So we're going to see uh, which Packers team shows up on Sunday. I just think eight points is a lot. So I think the Broncos will cover the plus eight. Yeah, I love that pick for the eight points. I think the game is going to be close. On paper, on statistics, it should be a good close mat matchup. However, here's my concerns with betting that straight up, and I'll get into what I would do for my third pick based on this. The Broncos concern me because of when you talked about the Vikings, I agree, but you have Mike Zimmer, an excellent halftime adjustments coach against Matt LaFleur, a first-year coach. He's getting used to the halftime adjustments. I saw that as the big difference in that game. So when you look at the game coming up, you have rookie coach on rookie coach. I didn't like the way Vic Fangio went for it on, on the two-point conversion at the end. I thought he should have kicked the extra point. I think actually making the two-point conversion cost them the game. The Bears would have played for overtime. As the Broncos, you're at home in the altitude. The Bears would have been tired. You have the better quarterback if you're the Broncos, and you have just about equal defenses. I would have taken my risk running into the overtime, which the Bears would have played for if they didn't need to win. I know it was fluky and unfortunate and caused by a roughing the passer, but I really didn't like that call, and I'm not confident that uh, Vic Fangio can make second half adjustments. I I don't believe in his ability to be a head coach. I believe in his ability to be a great defensive coordinator. And Aaron Rodgers is ready to go nuclear at any point like he did in that first half. And I don't know if they can make the adjustments. With that being said, I love Denver's defense on paper. Like I said, with the talent, it should be very close. So my final pick is if you're not familiar with a teaser, folks, a teaser is a parlay, which most of you are familiar with. If you bet, you need all the things to hit. However, you get to buy points. So my final pick, because I didn't like any of the picks available beyond that, enough to tell you 
people, you wonderful people who listen to our show to bet them. I would do a parlay. I'm sorry, not a parlay, a teaser. Add seven points to the lines to the two bets that I had plus the Broncos. So I'm taking the Skins plus 11 and a half, the Rams plus four and a half, and the Broncos plus 15. And you're going to end up walking away with about 1.5 to two times your money on that bet, depending upon what book you're putting it in at. I love that those numbers. I'm getting all underdogs in that case, and they all should cover very easily. And the Skins and Rams should win the game, I believe, per my picks. I have the Packers beating the Broncos 27 to 14. So we're still going to get coverage on that 15 points by those 14 points there. So that's my final pick for you all. Marv. Thank you so much for joining me. I always appreciate doing this with you every week. I appreciate all our listeners. Do you have anything for the people? Keep on listening, guys. We got some good stuff coming for you guys. Guys, Marv is going to keep the good picks running. He's going to keep making you money. I'm going to do my best to keep up with him. He was 2-1 and one last week. Um, in the meantime, all we ask is that you leave a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you may be listening. It really helps our show out. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy week three of the NFL. We'll talk to you soon. Later, guys.